once again welcome to Howrah Pakistan we're back on this momentous day we've lost our 20th prime minister it might be just we haven't wait 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 yeah alhamdulillah we haven't lost him i think health wise he's okay he's okay uh we've no, had he's not okay <laughs> <laughs> we had him there's no way he's okay <laughs> yeah but, yeah there's no nerves of steel me anyhow so once again musharraf and me and today we've got a fantastic guest a very special guest yeah. a lawyer of great repute yes. at a very young age and extremely uh, intelligent super intelligent i think reasonably well educated okay that he us pe kamzor hai lekin otherwise his professional achievements are amazing uh a television personality a newspaper columnist a lawyer of repute i think it's a he great privilege he was two years junior to me in school and even then i recognized two years two years bakwas kar raha hai he was 12 years junior to me two years junior man he was kar raha hai ye bahut bada aadmi banega wait is this another of the peshawar mafia me ye iske wale deputation pe so so not not a pakhtun Actually, ancestrally, yes. So I, I, I like how this whole conversation went because <laughs> I asked if he was Peshawar mafia. Yeah. Peshawar, as you know, being a Hindko majority city, belongs Absolutely. to all of Pakistan. Historic yeah. city, uh, historic, but also it is a Pakist quintessentially Pakistani city, right? And did you notice what the Bakhtun did there? Hmm. He totally appropriate. He's like, no, no, but he was there on deputy. <laughs> like as I if saw, you know, I saw, you, you saw the whole I thing noticed, go down. I, I, I saw the whole thing go down. Distressing. You let in two of us into any city, <laughs> and it is our city in two years. <laughs> yes, and my, my brothers, my brothers in the MQM know yes, this well. They know this well. <laughs> Advanced reproduction rate. <laughs> well. It, advanced reproduction rates but also yeah. access to weaponry yeah. right i mean we've had two entire shows about fussy's love for ammunition and arms right uh, interestingly i put the ammunition before the i arms. saw what you did yeah. but it is very clear that i don't approve of automatic weapons or hunting target practice is a legitimate sport yeah i guess yeah, yeah. yeah. as long as you're not in bolivia anyway yeah. <laughs> we'll uh So welcome to the show. Thank you to the podcast. Thank uh, you. This is a historic occasion and I am grateful to both gentlemen. So you the represented the federation today. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, 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 let's no. not start. <laughs> Wait. So, so eight minutes into the podcast, we've laughed so much. Which, which, which Nunis are going to take to be kind of like a subtle way of celebrating the demise of the third term of the prime minister. No, no, that, 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 Mr. Musharraf Zaidi has referred to as a political genius par excellence. Yes. May we add, guys won three elections. He's come back from the dead at least twice. I think if you can name a bigger political genius that's alive in Pakistan today, do your best. Fasi Zafar. Fasi Zafar. Because for a second I thought he said Fasi Zafar. What kind of beast be this? Fasi Zafar had a short tenure. I thought he was greatly missed. I think you remember and missed the long arm of the law. Being a young lawyer, you. This is this is correct. But I was I witnessed the long arm of the law, and today I saw it in uh, reality. Let's start. So what Fasi Zafar said uh, turned out to be true a few years later. What did he say? The long arm of the law. Let's start with. I mean one of the reasons why we've asked you us to the podcast. You know it's a very important podcast. Yes. 
and it's a momentous occasion. Yes. Let's start with a serious question. Indeed. When we assess the instrumentalization of 62, 63, mm -hmm. and in this case 62, 1F, mm -hmm. to essentially uh, end the term of a prime minister, yes. uh, what, what, is that, what is that to you legally? I think this was a very, very difficult decision. And I think now that we've passed that point in which we are saying that this is an Article 62.1F and under 62.1F we have this decision in front of us. Does it open the proverbial Pandora's box? Yes, it does. But there's two, three things. We came to this point because the PMLN has been the most ardent supporter of Article 62, of Article 63. Uh, but there's also another thing. I think we're basically too fixated on the fact that this is a very fuzzy moral provision, which it is. The idea was that it'd be a very fuzzy moral provision and it was brought in by an unelected military regime. That said, if you go through this decision, uh, and more importantly, if you go through the original decision in which Mr. Justice Asu Saeed Khan Khosa has deliberated upon this across 115 pages, so you'll see that the moral fuzz has been taken to a side. They've not gotten into the morality, the, the element which makes ROs ask you, Quick quiz. Yes. Let's move ahead. Very, very fast. So, if you come back to what the Lahore High Court has done, it told the ROs, stop asking those fuzzy moral questions. Yeah. Then we come back to the Justice Kosa decision, which is, leave the moralizing out. Let's look at the law. Did you make wrong disclosures? Yes. Were those disclosures construed as previous statements? Yes. Is this a case of submitting false information to the Supreme Court? Yes, etc, 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 which brings us to this point in which this entire case has turned on non-disclosure of assets. So, so is it a Pandora's box? Yes, it is. But yeah. if you would look at this decision, it's been done within the four corners of legal provisions and not whether Mr. Sharif Sol is a pure so, or, so or, or, or impure. Right? So where I um, sort of you know, we've discussed this a lot, right? I have wanted this decision to be on any basis but these two because of right. exactly this fear. Right. And now you've got a case, essentially, what is of misdeclaration, and then you've decided that that's effectively made him not Sadiq and Amir. Yes. And that could have also have been decided by just referring it mm. to the ECP, mm. where the normal course would have taken its... Uh, it would be done very quickly okay. and without using these two okay. particular provisions. And again, so when we do say that, okay, they've taken care to have it within an ambit so that it doesn't open itself up to an RO-like situation. That's right. But the fact that it was still used under the ambit of these two, whereas it could have gone through that other thing, that is where I have a problem because like right now they've decided they're essentially making hmm. case law as they go around, right? They're making precedent and all that. So what's to say that this is not the final <laughs> end of it, right? This is going to be another case. Fine. This is going to be something but else. But there's, there's another aspect <laughs> yeah. to this, uh, which is, okay, so we have sort of the uber-sophisticated Saqib Nassar and Asif Said Kosa and Azmat. And, and, and the other judges. There's an Afzal Zullah, there's a Naseem Asan Shah, and 
دیگر اور کیریکٹرس کمنگ اپ دا رینکس رائٹ دا سپریم کورٹ بینچ از میڈ اپ آف آل کائنڈز آف پیپل فرام آل کائنڈز آف آئیڈیولوجیکل ہسٹوریکل اکیڈیمک اینڈ فکری بیک گراؤنڈ سو واٹ ہیپنس وین یو گیٹ اندر افتخار چودھری از دا کوشچن Or, I mean, or the I mean, various other names that I mentioned. Other names. I mean, hmm. I just, I mean, you and I have discussed this before. Like the, so the example that's given, and that's a fair example on the use of Razak. That after that, everyone thought that everyone else is going out this way also, and this is opening the floodgates. It didn't happen. It didn't. And you know, the 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 sort of problem that I foresee with that is that we are expecting. We're putting the hope not into the legal end of that's, it. That's exactly right. We're putting right. the hope into that somebody comes and they'll say and, that this is too much. That's something. I think yeah. that's the entire point. The first thing is, well, when Yusuf Raza Gilani was going home, everyone said, oh no, now every MNA is going to be hauled up for contempt and thrown out. Which, by the way, many Pakistan People's Party people uh, were facing that. No one went home. So we leave that aside. The other thing is, when, um, when you say... that there's all sorts of characters. What brought us here? We've basically been through 35 years of parliaments coming in and coming out, and it was your prerogative to say that Article 62 and Article, Article 63 are basically swords hanging over our heads. If we can't remove them, because let's say there'll be a backlash from the conservatives or from the fundo element or whatever, mm-hmm. you could at least amend it to the extent of saying that there are certain parameters کوئی قائدے ہیں کوئی قانون ہیں آپ نے وہ بھی نہیں کیا سو وٹ یو سو ود اینٹی آن کلنگ تھنگ میسو رائٹ وینگ بیک لیش وڈ ہیپنڈ سو وٹ یو ڈیڈ واز یو ڈیڈ ایلیمنٹس آف بوتھ یو کیپٹ اٹ کمپاؤنڈیبل افینس ایز این یو کڈ اسٹل فار گیو اے پرسن بٹ دا مین کوڈنٹ واک اوے اسکاٹ فری وٹ آئی سینگ از آرٹیکل سکسٹی ٹو اینڈ سکسٹی تھری کڈ بی امینڈیڈ اینڈ وین یو ٹاک اباؤٹ دی الیکشن کمیشن وٹ وی سین اوور دا پاسٹ ایئر از complete subverting of state institutions. I don't think there's any two opinions about it. I don't think anyone here is going to say that the SECP uh, leadership was, you know, operating from a very moral high ground. If you read the FIA report, and this is the FIA, which is another state institution, that stuff is damning. So it is the executive's prerogative, or rather it is the legislature's prerogative to do something about these provisions. You did not, then you stalled, then your state institution stalled, and then finally you are pinning your judicial hopes, uh, or basically your political your hopes, legal, yeah. your legal hopes on a jurisprudential Santa Claus. You should have done something on April 4th, 2016, the day after the Panama leaks exploded. Certainly, and it should have been more than, as, as I think I've repeated ad infinitum, The, the, the crime here, because the crime of becoming wealthy is, is a crime that a lot of people can be convicted on, uh, wealthy by dubious means, no question. But, the, but to me, the greatest crime was to stand in front of the nation on the 7th of April, two and a half days after the, the, the thing breaks, exactly. and to present a case of personal and familial victimhood, t- as you wear a watch that's worth 150 grand, Uh, in front of a country where, you know, there's 22.6 million kids out of school. You know, it just, it's not, it's not a believable or credible or coherent narrative to claim victimhood. And the amazing thing is because there is no spine in the PMLN as a party other than to uphold the end, then there was no challenge to this, to this narrative of victimhood. And so within the party, this, this, this group of people 
politicians, many of whom, I, you know, I'm, I'm on the record on this. I have no compunction in saying many of the people in the PMLN I, I dearly admire and adore. You know, they're, they're brilliant. They're, to me, patriotism is important and they are patriotic. They care about the country. But when it comes to their leadership, it's almost as if everything else becomes secondary to the sustenance of Nawaz Sharif and his will. And as an ordinary Pakistani, for me, that, that's not okay. And what we've seen in this country over the last year and a half now is a subversion of the national interest, or at least a relegating of the national interest to sub-number one. Because number one has been the Panama case and the defense of the prime minister and his family. And to an extent, that's understandable, the body politic, real politic, how, how things work. But there was no concurrent effort to keep to keep the shop running. So, you know, somebody said today, there's no prime minister today, and there's no finance minister, no foreign minister. So I was like, mm-hmm. you know, operatively, what, what, is, what has changed compared to the last three months or the last three quarters? It, it's not, not a whole lot has changed. Now, I mean, one can go on about this, but, but I agree with you entirely. The responsibility for us being here uh, and the responsibility for the damage to the political process and the damage to democracy can be spread about. And there are many conspirators and there's many villains in this. But number one is Nawaz Sharif and his family. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And so we should have the debate about the role of the, uh, the MI and the ISI and the JIT. We should have a debate about to what extent these judges are acting on behalf of this invisible security establishment. Was Gilani simply punished? It's interesting what you mentioned about contempt. So basically, what are we saying? Gilani was punished for Memogate, got rid of him, then the others are basically excused. No, what we're saying and, is... And now, and now Sharif what, was... What we're saying is, we, I don't think we need to go that far. Again, we start pointing towards the invisible hand when, one, we have been complicit in that invisible hand from the beginning, whether you want to talk about General Vague or you want to talk about Memogate itself. You went there as a petitioner and you basically played right into their hands. Or if and you, then you had that done to you with, uh, with Don Lee. Right, right. But when you want to say that, oh, Mr. Gilani went because he was part of a grand conspiracy, Mr. Gilani should have just written the Swiss letter, which by the way, Raja Parvez Ashraf wrote and nothing yeah. happened to Raja Parvez Ashraf. And guess what? Nothing happened to Asif Ali Zardari either. You sent that letter to Switzerland. So here's the question. And the skies skies didn't fall. Sure. So here's the question for you, Asad, and uh, for you as well, Fazi. Is anything going to happen to Asif Ali Zardari and Kupo? I would think that Mr. Zardari's... uh, Well, I I don't think I I want to sit in on judgment. But if anything is apparent, it is that Mr. Zardari has certainly a lot more skeletons in the closet uh, than me, Asab, does. And if today is any indication... That's speculation or that's, so, that's what you know? No, that's completely... I would say that this is me speculating entirely. This yeah. is me just saying that, Mr. Zadari, if you just look at the record of the past 10, 20 years, a lot more is, is visible. Let's just talk about visibility. Visibility is your only metric. Yeah. If allegations are your only metric. If, yeah, it doesn't look if, good. If court cases are your yeah. only metric, yeah. then Zadari Saab is, is, you know, certainly more out there than Mia Saab. And to me, the vulnerability actually has increased because of what I mentioned, the other factor in the PPP, which is the Popo factor. Hmm. I think that, you know, the, the Zadari's own family uh, and, and the sort of malign impact it's had on the credibility of the PPP, even in its own province, I think is a, is a real question going forward for that party. I, I mean, two things come to mind. I mean, the post of, you know, what... 
Nawaz Sharif did to get here, I think that's almost universally exceeded, right? In terms of also being the master of own goals, of getting things done, there have been things like I was convinced that ultimately it's not going to be a Pan Am decision. It's going to be a decision partly because of obstruction of justice and things like forgery and these are, it, and it's happened in the past, right? The most famous of which is that American gangster whose name I keep forgetting. Um, Al Capone. Al Capone, right? You, you get somebody during the course of that. But so the, the key question for me is like, where do we go from here? And I'm almost at the point, and I hate saying this, that if this was a conspiracy of selective accountability, then I'd rather it actually be that. Because if this close to the elections, you knock out, and let's say this is vigorous, let's say this is actually going to go forward, you knock out four or five people, that includes Imran Khan, a couple of others and whatever. Um, I think that's one of the key things that I'd like for the next year, and I know this is difficult, people prefer accountability at all at one end, but there are also limits to what the state apparatus can achieve. And that sort of possibility of instability and what it does to the potential elections or whether, and then potentially even whether they can be or cannot be held because, you know, things might get out of hand. That for me is a defining thing. And I think that's still fairly open. We'll find out essentially in two to three weeks. If you had to put money on it. Yeah. And I'll answer the question as yes. well, but I'll start with you, Fussy. What you're saying is basically, if there is a grand purge coming, yes. and they behead all the major parties, which is essentially, yeah. they take out JKT and IK and PTI, yeah. take out Zadadi and Popo and PPP, yeah. essentially you can stop there, but yes. then you know you do a few others, yeah. probably Molana and a couple of others, and, yeah. and you're done. What that then creates the grounds for is potentially, and we've been hearing this, you know, the WhatsApp sort of factory in this country yes. has been generating this national government conversation or trying to. Well, then you get what, what is the likelihood? Of course. Yeah. So, so what is the likelihood in your mind of that scenario actually coming to pass? So, I, so if you had to rate it on a on a scale of one to okay, ten, so I ten make being that it absolutely happens and yeah. zero that it absolutely doesn't happen. So I think there's two answers to that. I think that. That what, actually, four and six? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, so I think that that sort of massive scale, I don't know whether the ambition is actually that grand, and I think people are relatively attuned that despite wanting to, it took a year and a half to get the PM out, right? Um, and if that were to happen, I think there's like maybe a 10%, 15% chance of that. I think um, Imran Khan has a much higher percentage because... I suspect that, you know, uh, I think that this Chief Justice wants to be seen as above board. He's in a legacy making and not a legacy making of the Iftikhar Chaudhary end, right? And uh, just reading the judgment and, you know, the first thing I read that came to my mind was, wait, this is an answer to name Bukhari's plea, right? This was his argument and they have just said in like no words. And even that in itself, by the way, is a major, major blow. And just for those two to happen in relatively quick succession will lead to a number of problems. So that's my answer. That, I think, has a 50-60% chance of happening, and the other, maybe 15%. So I'm hearing two or three things. One, you're on the fence on, on sort of 
how bad it'll be. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you're actually reasonably optimistic that it won't get that bad. Yeah. And two, in South Yunnan 2013, in South Yunnan 2017. Yeah. That's clear because you're saying basically, Nawaz Sharif I hope they don't get Imran Khan because that's bad for the system, which really is your way of masking your insafianism. Just admit it. Look, I voted for them <laughs> once, but it's been held against me ever since. Yes. Yes. No, but I, I, I genuinely think just because... Or I, held for you. Yeah, yeah. The, the podcast has a wide audience. Yeah. I don't think we'd have as wide an audience if people didn't actually believe that yeah. you, at least you have a good heart. <laughs> no, no, but I, I genuinely, when I, in the morning, I thought it was just, you know, it was like YRG scene. I just didn't know the specifics. I sat down to read it at six, mm-hmm. and then I got worried. Mm. And and then I also got worried about sixty-two and sixty-three, and thinking about the choices they've made. And that just leads me to think that okay, maybe this is not going to stop. Yeah. What about you, Asa? Where where would you rank the likelihood of things getting really out of hand in terms of a series of disqualifications and basically the purging of the of the and the of beheading the of the of the parties? Yeah. Well, I think we're at a six. I think this is a pretty dangerous situation that we're in. I think it wasn't the judiciary's fault that it's been put at the forefront of what could actually change your entire political setup. That said, I don't see them. Uh, going into switchblade mode and saying, let's decapitate everyone out there. I think a series of steps got us to where we are right now. Um, And I'd just be really, really surprised if you start applying it to every single political party head without any discrimination whatsoever. I agree with what what Fasifai is saying conceptually, agreed. It's just, it seems a strange hypothetical for me. No, I, I'm basically... Uh, if, you, if you see what I mean. I think the incentive in the hmm. system now is we're going to see a raft of references being filed. Right. Because every party and everyone else will be potentially using this. And one way, even if they don't believe it's going to work, but, uh, and also I think from the PMLN that they'd use it as a strategy to prove a point. Hmm. Hmm. Which is that if they're looking for a vindication of Nawaz, they say, well, we filed all these cases against X, Y, Z. What do you think? Well, I think it's really interesting that Nawaz Sharif is apparently, and you never know with Nawaz Sharif, but if he has indeed chosen Shabazz Sharif to replace him as prime minister, and there's going to be the whole series of things so, that you are political geniuses, why are we going through the same bloodline, Lord? Does, does no one get upset over this? That clearly, one, one, clearly one, I do, which, is, why, which is why I've been as critical as I have been of the genius. <laughs> but, historically, but the, historically speaking, when people would talk about Muslim leagues, yeah. why they would distinguish the Muslim League from the other parties is they'd say, well, this is not a hereditary party, uh, in the way that Awami National Party went to Bacha Khan's grandson, or even the JUIF went to Mufti Mahmood's kid. Uh, the Muslim Leagues was basically this hodgepodge of you know political nobles who would not give it over to their nephew. But now you see each of them. Well, it would be given over to the adopted son of the GHQ. (laughs) (laughs) So I think think there's a hereditary element there as well. Now when you look at Q, you see a a Munisilahi. When you see, when you look at F, you see all those Peer Pagadas. And finally, when you go to N... Actually, the thing is that Persia is an adoption agency. (laughs) 
now that they've been embraced by <laughs> family, it's an orphanage. No, no, now, now they've got a loving family and they're just passing it on. <laughs> but, but I think this is something that is to be worried about. That when you see a Pakistan People's Party convention, this is the ultimate MHSR moment that you've had nothing to do with the case whatsoever. And now you're here and saying, well, we take credit. Um, and you're bringing up the memory of Shaheed Motarma, who, by the way, was dismissed um, by the president under, you know, all of these 50 years. And was hounded by the judiciary. That's right, but you're saying, well. I didn't understand that. But anyway, the fact of the matter is that the gentleman sitting there um, was vastly, uh, you know, un- unsuited to maybe be sitting there because you're not supposed to inherit political parties in Wales. Similarly... Notwithstanding, I said... Just similarly, to, Raul Castro style, the second you basically get deposed yeah, or in trial, you're not supposed to hand it to your brother. This so, doesn't make sense to me. This is not internal democracy. There's a lot of, there's a lot of mil- young mil- millennials, millennials that it doesn't make sense to. <laughs> and I think they're going to pay the price for this. I think that the 2018 electorate is in character and in granularity and texture, fundamentally different. So you're not alone. And there's, this is not just a PTI thing. I think that even within the PMLN, the, the people that voted for the PMLN are not all diehard noonies. No, I think... This is not, a, this right, is not the I, PPP. But see, I, think, and so, see, and I so, think this is a serious issue. I think there's a serious issue within the PTI's top-tier leadership. Uh, and this is clear to everyone. I think Big Money has started playing a massively corrosive role and it is destroying the party's message every day. That said, when you say that within the PMLN, there's not that much of a Nuni element, the fact that you had Chaudhary Nassar give that entire press conference, that was basically resistance. That was saying, KR, we've been the guys who've been here since 1985. What is this transition? What is going on? Which is strange, because at the end of the day, the class of 1985 was also that same generation of upstarts that went against the landed gentry and all of that. Now that they're seeing that this is going towards Again, bloodlines. I disagree that's, with that. They weren't very... upstarts. The eighty-five, <laughs> the class of eighty-five was the was the collective they sort of the, the cousins. Yeah, it was the cousins and brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, adopted by by the great uh, right. by the great adoption. I say, I say, of, of I, our I, right. I say upstarts in the way that they were perceived by the lander gentry. Give her ye boys can't say again. Here's the larger point. The larger point is that I wanted to make by by citing Shabazz Sharif was that if we think this is over at the Nawaz Sharif and Imran Khan level, I think we're wrong. I think that there are potential cases that can be pursued against Shabazz Sharif as well. Right. And so the fact that he's to me, the interesting part is not the hereditary part. It's completely expected, given that he wanted to hand it to his daughter. So now he hands it to his, to his brother, who's going to hand the province to his son. So that's, that, there's nothing new about that. And those lamentations, while legitimate, they don't, they're not adding to our you know, sort of body Why? of awareness. What I find fascinating is that that choice has been made fully knowing. Nawaz Sharif fully knows that Shabazz Sharif is exposed. And the exact same mechanisms that have brought today to bear are going to be employed by the PTI and the various other visible and invisible parties to this conflict are also going to bring to bear those uh, arguments Agreed. in that case. And so we're looking right, at... I just throw one, one, one thing, just one last thing in here, that when we say that, well, we're at this precipice and what do we do now? I completely agree. Everyone is exposed. 
what to do. When you see Chief Justice Iftikhar Chaudhary, when he was around between 2005 and 2013, you saw the judiciary go into a bit of a regulatory mode. Then you had Chief Justices Jelani and Nasrullah Mulk Sahiban, and you saw that if they had swung to one end of the pendulum, they slowly but surely came back to the center of the spectrum. And then you had increasing degrees of judicial restraint. I don't see this judiciary going over the cliff and saying, well, we're going to, again, why, why do you take a battle axe? Because the judiciary tends to regulate itself. That's how it is. It's as with every other institution. When you are doing if you something, take the evidence, when you are, let me ask you yes, a question. If yes. you take the evidence of the statements made by the various judges mm-hmm. over the course of the last mm-hmm. two quarters, yes, do you still feel that way? Putting those statements together, uh, then you go back to what Justice Khosa said that, oh, maybe Sirajul Haq is the only person who's going to get through. Uh, and after that, when people sat down and thought about it, they were like, well, not even him. Would <laughs> even Sirajul Haq get through? So, I completely agree with what you're saying. That said, Raja Parvez Ashraf stuck on. Well, maybe that's because he also sent the Swiss letter. But this institution somehow tends to calibrate what they're doing. When they do something naughty or when they do something risky, what you then see is a redressal mechanism of sorts and they come back, to, know, the, they so, come back so, to square one. I, I think like we all have these strains of optimism. Okay. Right? Right? And, and I, I think, think that's what it is. I said, I think okay. you're being optimistic. Okay. So, and, and, I, I, and I also think that's fine to believe because we... Of course. I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm right? the biggest yeah. optimist. Yeah. But I, I just think that... And I... You know, the fuzzy area between this is that... That sort of amorphous hope that, you know, mm. they just work it out mm. is the troubling end of this action. I agree with you. Right? It is troubling. Yeah. So, just asking you, um, what's your percentages on this? So, on the initial thing where before we took our usual detour yeah. to Detroit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, eight mile. Um, I think that we are, I think we are legitimately at a point where if the judiciary wanted to, it could really go all in and, and engage itself in an orgy of disqualifications. And I think the risk of that, I think I agree with Asad, is reasonably high. I think it's six or more. Right. Uh, I think partly because of the way in which our national discourse has been manipulated over the last year and a half, two things that are very obvious. One, where there is a small ember, the ability of the, of the media to create an eruption and, and then sustain that fire over a long period of time is proven. Now that this massive tree has been felled the appetite of that of that beast of a national discourse is going to be for the next kill it, this is not a national discourse in which that is seeking stability if that makes any sense the yeah. natural state of the national discourse is not stability and order it actually craves disorder it's an anti-German. Exactly. And yeah. so what it's... So what it's... So what it's, so what it's going to do... We could is, change our name to that. You can, Anti-Germans. Ask the, ask the bot now. Where are you from? <laughs> Anti-German. East. We, we, uh, because I don't think it's ever happened that the Germans wanted to ever overturn the system and, and destroy everything. Certainly. Well, just that <laughs> once. <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> Maybe. I, was it, that's interesting. By the way, speaking of the Germans, have you watched Dunkirk? No, don't tell me about it. I Jesus, can't good yeah, I God. Wallah, it is the most 
incredible visual huh. and and audio spectacle. Just the first like five minutes yeah. will have you on the edge you of your seat. You mean it's a saving private ride? <laughs> So you know, the great funny? five ten minutes in the beginning, so, and the so, rest is like utter shit. So, <laughs> so I think Raza. Do you, do you remember Raza Al Hassan Lashkar? He, yeah, yeah, he was yeah. the press trust of India correspondent here. And the wonderful one of the most guy. arty people I've met in my life. Very arty, very like very sort of cultural vultural, right? Yeah. Like he really knew his film, his music, and everything. He, I, I, he has I, a I had against a, me, by the way. Sorry, I'm the only people. I'm the only person who genuinely likes Nickelback. And oh, it yeah, appalls him. Well, that, appalls that, him. that appalls oh, me as well. I mean, that is, that is and I, I'm a big top of the pops guy. Like, I, I love Miley Cyrus, and you know, I love like Justin Bieber. But that's a that's a that's a journey even too far for me. Yeah. So Raza says that it is. I always look out for the small guy. I actually, thought, I actually think Chad Kroger is deeply misunderstood. <laughs> Just like Asad Rahim. <laughs> So, so Reza says, and I think, like, I understand his criticism. I even agree with it, and yet I think it is a brilliant spectacle. Reza says that it's it's bland. The characters are empty and vacuous, and it's got no heart. And to an extent, I actually agree with him. But the point of that movie is not, I don't think, the the richness of the story or the characters. It's just the fact that he's captured like that World War II scene in the way that he has yeah. just incredible so if you have a chance watch Dunkirk so anyhow that actually scares me because I feel I might already agree with Raza because the other you're going to love it you, you, you're going to love it okay now that I've given you the Raza thing yeah I've already I've already changed expectations. So now you're only going in for the ride and not the feels. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> feels go side by Just dicks. Just do the dicks. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'll check it out. Don't go to fall in love. Go yeah. for lust. Okay. And, okay. and, and it's a win. Yeah. Uh, we should, we should probably, I mean, there is so much more to talk about. And it's been such a great privilege having you on. Thank because you. one of the first How to Pakistan guests... Yeah. That talks more than us. Yeah, and you know, I, I think many of our no, many of our listeners will love that. There's been a movement within the How to Pakistan sort of. Uh, Achha, I thought I thought I didn't get any airtime actually. Hey, Are you are you a firstborn? Yes, I am. <laughs> there's a whole thing that we want to do about birth and and being a parent and, and all of that we're going to save that for a different day yeah. it is an important day in Pakistan's democratic journey I don't think that democracy is over, and I think the PMLN has a chance to strengthen democracy by making sure that the transition is strong and assured and not seeking controversy, not trying to get another prime minister disqualified. So if they, if they do that, democracy will be stronger, and if democracy is stronger, Pakistan is going to be stronger. So I think I'm holding out hope that the PMLN is going to act wisely. I also, in my heart, know that it's actually going to do the opposite. But uh, fingers crossed and prayer mat out.
I think the odd thing about the PMLN is whatever their voter base feels about Bhutto, they would like to employ those tactics right now. Mm. They want to evoke that and I think it's, with this one it's probably not going to fly right now. I don't think it's ever going to fly because yeah. he just isn't Bhutto. Yeah. Uh, I thought you were seeking disqualification from the very outset. It's a very, very distressing thing that we have to get here. And I hope, as we discussed before, that this doesn't degenerate into a complete judicial free-for-all in which you're beheading everyone. That's what I honestly hmm. hope and wish for. Wakhar Dawana and Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. I've had a great time talking to Thank you, you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you Fasi, so much. Always Asa. lovely to reconnect and yes. do this. It's been a while, but season three is back in action. We're back again. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. We take uh, more breaks than Dakar starts, but you know, we get there and uh, let's hope that all goes well. And uh, I think we've got uh, hopefully a good chance of that happening. Thanks everyone. Keep listening. Khudafiz. All right, Khudafiz everybody. See you again next week.